Amen. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Whoa, that was weak. How's everybody doing? There we go. There we go. We got some people that are awake. Um, so today we are fin- well. We're not. We're kind of finishing our, our legacy series. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have one more week next week. Uh, that that's kind of a part of it, I guess. Uh, although I feel like next week is is more a part of the twenty one days of prayer and fasting than it is about the legacy series because next week we're gonna have a concert of prayer. And uh, really excited about that. It's basically uh, going to be uh, a lot of worship and a lot of praying, a lot of music and a lot of praying. And uh, it's going to be incredible. <clears throat> and so that's going to be a lot of fun. I said a few weeks ago as we began the series that I wouldn't be able to cover all the core values uh, that we have as a church and in such a short series. And, and so uh, just so you know, this is, this is um, Legacy. We're calling this series Legacy. Of course, the name of the church is Legacy City Church. And so uh, you put two and two together, then and we're right here at the beginning of the year. It makes sense that this is a vision series. This is uh, We're talking through and talking about the vision that God has laid on our hearts for this church, uh, for the direction that we're going, how we're going to get there, what God's going to do in the, in the process, and, and who we are uh, in God and in Christ uh, to allow that to happen. And so we're kind of talking through some of those things. And so today is kind of the culmination of the last couple of Sundays, and, and so today is kind of the Vision Sunday as we, as we like I said, kind of wrap all that up and put a, put a little bow on it. Now, I said at the beginning, though, that there's no way we have nine core values. There's no way that we could cover all those core values during the course of, of this series, and I, I don't know I said that, but the more I thought about it over these last few weeks, and as we've been hitting these different prayer topics each day for the 21 days of, of prayer and fasting, I felt it necessary to actually, to actually hit on all of these, at least, at least momentarily. So why do we cover these values? Why do we cover all of these things? Instead of, instead of just opening the word and, 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 and going, to some, going to a passage and, and walking through and, and exegeting that passage out and talking about uh, how important it is and how it applies to our lives, instead of doing that every Sunday, why do we take some time and take a series to pause and, and talk about uh, the vision and, and, the, and the core values of this church? Why do I constantly repeat the same six, seven, eight, nine phrases uh, all the time? Why am I always saying the same thing all the time? Isn't the word more important than, than our man-made phrases? <clears throat> yes. And I'm glad that you asked me all of those questions. <clears throat> it is absolutely true. Um, God's word is more important than our man-made phrases. However, here's the thing. Uh, we repeat these various phrases and, and values because we want them to become second nature to us because these phrases are inspired by the word of God, as we'll see in a few moments. All right, they came, they came, they came from the word of God. We, we put them together based on the word of God and how we felt like God was leading us and moving us uh, to, to go as a church. And so we repeat these phrases because we want we really want them to become second nature to us. Each of these values are inspired by scripture. They are inspired by God's plan and they were chosen prayerfully. Um, you see, we are in the process of creating a culture here at Legacy City Church. And that culture is formed from the combination of vision and values. You put those together and you start to develop a culture. All right, but for that to catch on, We have to keep talking about it. We have to keep bringing it up. If we had a building, we'd probably put it on the walls just to keep it in front of you. Once we lose sight of the vision and stop caring about the values, then the culture honestly begins to shift. And that's where we begin to see churches that become stale 
and stagnant. And that's when you begin to see mass exodus from churches. And that's whenever you see leadership struggle and bend to temptation because they lost sight of the vision that God gave them. They lost their focus on the vision that God had put in their hearts and in their lives. They lost sight of the vision. And we don't want to lose sight of the vision. We want to keep pursuing it, keep running after it, keep going after it uh, each and every day as a church and as individuals. So I want to look at the word for a moment to see if that helps us to understand the importance of vision and values. All right, so this comes out of Habakkuk. I will take my stand uh, at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And I look out to see uh, what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Write the vision. That's that's why we had the list of core values. We wrote the vision. We wrote out. Actually, uh, it began on a whiteboard in my living room. Uh, And we had all of these things listed out, all of these scriptural, all these things that we saw in scripture. We said, what should the local church look like? How should the local church uh, interact with the community around them? How are we supposed to act in light of the local church? And we had all these things listed out. We had like, I think, 42 or 52 things listed out. And then we kind of condensed it down to we felt like was the strongest nine that, uh, that we needed to focus in on. We'll read those in a few moments. In Proverbs, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Another version says the people perish. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish. But blessed is he who keeps the law. You know, John had a vision from God. Call that the book of Revelation. Daniel had a vision from God. Paul on the road to Damascus received a vision that changed his entire life. It changed the trajectory of his life and the trajectory of the church because he had this vision. God gave him a vision. The Old Testament, in the midst of receiving the commandments, God's law, in the midst of of everybody receiving the commandments, which was God's law for how to live and how to be in right standing with him, he cast a vision for his people in Deuteronomy 6. Verse four, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. That's the vision right there. That's the vision that God wants for his people. God says, my heart for you is that you love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all your soul. All that you have, I want you to love me. And these words I command uh, you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is God's vision for his people, to love him with all that we have. We're not there yet, but it's something to work toward. And that's really what vision is. It's it's a picture of what we could be. It's it's a reason to be on the journey that we're on. That's what vision really is. And then what does the text say for God's grand vision? It says they, they taught it. They wrote it down. They memorized it. They were to keep it in front of them at all times. That vision hasn't changed, church. From Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament to Matthew 22 in the New Testament, this is still God's desire for his people. But as a church, God has given us 
uh, some vision of our own of ways to accomplish that, of ways to move toward that. So here's our, we, we've looked at this, I think, every week. Here's our, our vision statement. It's very simple, very easy to memorize, and, and I think uh, comes right out of the text. We are for God and his kingdom. We are for people and this city. We are for God and his kingdom. We are for people and this city. The statement could honestly just stop it. We are for God because that's all it has to be. That's, that's all it has to be. That's, that's our vision is to grow closer to God, to become more like Jesus, to get to a place where we are truly loving him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our might. We are also for his kingdom, for his sovereignty, for his reign. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our incredibly long and, and hard to memorize vision statement goes on to say that we are also for people because our God is for people. Our God is for people. He wants that all should be saved, that all should know him. He, he loves people so much that he sent his son to die for us. He loves people. And if God is for people, then we've got to be for people because we are made in the image of Christ and we need to pursue the things that God pursued. And God pursued People. So we're going to be for people, for God, for his kingdom, for people, and then we're going to be for the city, the community, the, the neighborhood, the place where you are planted, the place where God has put you. We're going to be for that, for them. And not just for them to come here, but for them to, to be where they are and to be growing in a relationship with Christ or hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, or seeing the gospel lived out as you go about your daily lives, we're for people and we're for this city. We want to serve this city well, because this is where God has planted us and we are ambassadors. We'll talk about that in a moment. But vision, that's what I've realized, I think, vision has, has to begin with a burden, I think vision ultimately begins with a God-given burden that he, that he lays on you, that he, that he puts on your heart. When God gives us a burden, something inside of us kind of starts to change. It, it consumes our thoughts. Our, our every move we make can sometimes dwell on that burden. Has anyone ever gotten a theme song stuck in your head, like, like a jingle from a commercial? couple of people. We get those stuck in our heads, right? I, I, you, you just can't shake it. You, you lay awake at night thinking about it. You find yourself singing it in the shower and humming it at work. You start making up new words to it just to spice things up a little bit. <laughs> well, this burden from God is nothing like that, but it does sit with us. I think that's the thing. Sometimes we get these fleeting feelings where, where, you know what, there's an injustice that's happening, and I, and I feel strongly about that. But then the next day, you kind of just go back about your lives. Well, that was, that was just a reaction, not a bad reaction. That's just a reaction. That's an emotional reaction to a, a, a circumstance. But a burden won't leave you. A burden won't go away. You don't wake up the next day thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this now. 
No, you wake up the next day and you feel stronger than the day before that you need to do something about it. Like, because God's put that on you. He's, he's put that in your heart and it's saying, you need to do something. This burden has been laid on you. So the vision needs to begin to flesh itself out. You get this burden to see something happen, to experience God move and to be a part of something incredible and you can't shake it. No matter what you do to get your mind off of it, there it is right back in your face. I know for me, that's how it was when God was calling me into the ministry. He just kept bringing me back to it, putting it back in front of me. Every time I tried to look a different direction and go a different way, every time I tried to go through another door, there it was. This burden for ministry, to minister to others. That's how it was when God was calling me to plant a church, a burden that I couldn't shake, a call to do something for the Lord that was so crazy, it had to be only from God. So let me share our three burdens that fueled the vision and the launch of Legacy City Church. This is Vision Sunday, so we want to share kind of how it started and the idea. Uh, some of you have heard this before. If you've come to maybe the after party or partnership class, or if you were a part of our launch team, you've heard some of this. But again, we're just putting this back in front of you. We want to continue to come back to it. We want to continue to talk about it because we want it to, to fuel us and to drive us on to, to move further down the line in the vision process. As we move further to trying to do these things and see these things to fruition, we want to, we have to keep coming back to it and say, hey, what started this in the first place? How, what was the burden that got this thing going. And so the first thing is we wanted to reach the unchurched. We had a, we had a burden for the unchurched. As I think any probably church planner does, I, I, I would hope that all church planners have a burden for the unchurched. And what do I mean by that? The unchurched would be people who have never been to church, who, have, who are outside of church, who really don't understand church culture, don't understand who God is, uh, much less church culture. Maybe they've, you know, they, if they live in the South, if they live in, in, in Greenwood, uh, where we are planted, then, then maybe they, you know, know of church, they know of God, they know of things, but they're not, they're not actually plugged in, they're not connected, and they certainly probably don't have a relationship with God. Those are the unchurched people. And what's interesting is we looked at the statistics for Greenwood, 73,000, this was two years ago whenever we were prepping for all this, 73,000 was the estimated uh, total for Greenwood County. Obviously, that doesn't include Abbeville right over the line or, or, or McCormick or, or Lawrence or anything like that. But we're just looking at Greenwood County, 73,000. Of those 73,000, it's estimated that 35,000 do not claim a religion or a church home. So that means more than half aren't in church. And then of the remaining uh, I don't do math, uh, 28,000, of the remaining 28,000 or so, um, or 38,000, of the remaining 38,000, uh, 10,000 of those uh, claim to only go to church. Now, th th that would be religious people, not necessarily Christians. That would be claiming religion. The, the study didn't ask, you know, it's, you know all, all polls are probably flawed, but the, the poll didn't ask what religion, just, just are you religious? And, and so they got a general yes or no. But then the other thing was is that most of them didn't actually attend. Another 10,000 didn't actually attend a gathering of any sort, didn't actually attend a corporate worship service. And so we, we looked at that number like, wow, that's incredible because I think of Greenwood as being, you know, a pretty churched community. And the South in general, we think of the South as being pretty churched, right? There's a church on every corner. Everybody's grandma went to church and drugged them as a kid to church, Right? That's just kind of how we think about it in the South. 
But the reality is, is that there are a lot of people who don't know the Lord and aren't attending church at all. And so we said we want to be for the unchurched. We want to be a place that the unchurched could feel like they could come to receive hope, to receive love. We also, uh, we also kind of tacked on to this one, this idea of the de-churched. And, uh, and what I mean by that, the de-churched would be people who, who have attended church at some point in their life. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe their, their mom took them every Sunday, and so they, they grew up in kids' ministry and youth group and, and maybe even dabbled in college group a little bit before they kind of fell away. Maybe now they're in their adult life and they just don't go to church at all. That would be the de-churched. Maybe they've been in church for a long, long time, but then something happened and then there was a hurt where the church let them down. The church hurt them in some way, perceived or real. Either way, they felt like for some reason they, they were let down by the church and in turn were also let down by God. That's the extension of that in our minds. And so these people have stepped away. Maybe they've been away for a year two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 19 years, I've heard uh, from someone who, who's attended here. And so, um, and so we wanted to be about the deed church as well, a place where they could come back and hopefully come back to their first love, come back to, to remember who God is and, and, and why they fell in love with, with God and, and the local church in the first place. And so that's actually been the, the biggest, probably the biggest part of our growth over this last year is what, what I would call the de-church. Not, not necessarily church transfer, but, but people who have actually just been searching, been looking, been wandering for, for, for years. The second burden we had was for the least of these. It's kind of what we, what we were calling it, the least of these. And the, we'll, we'll come to the passage in just a few moments when we talk about it, but, but it comes out of... <clears throat> It comes out of a particular passage where we came, came up with this. But uh, the least of these, uh, there, there's some interesting statistics I'll share with you. Um, at the time, it was 35.9%. Now it's estimated well over 40% um, in Greenwood are, are living in poverty. The poverty level is, is, is pretty high. That means, that means if you go out today, you go out to lunch, more than, one, more than one out of every three people you look at in the restaurant is potentially living below the poverty line in poverty in Greenwood. Greenwood District 50 is actually reporting 82% in the district are in poverty. Uh, at the time when we launched, 300 were homeless, 300 plus, and now uh, the estimates are over 400. 400 plus homeless living in our community, in our, in our city, in our county. And so we have a burden to do something about this. We have a burden to come alongside people, to come, along, come alongside organizations and, and to, to try to bring those numbers and bring those statistics down. And then the third burden we had was for the next generation. Because we're looking around us and churches are dying. Churches are dying. Because they're dying out. Because they're not investing in the next generation. They're not pouring into the next generation and raising them up and, and equipping them to take the mantle of leadership to take that church onto the next level. And so the churches are actually dying. Right now it's estimated that, uh, yeah, we're planting, we're planting about um, uh, 3,000, no, 4,000 churches a year. We're planting about 4,000 churches a year in America, which seems like a lot, but we're closing 3,700 churches every year. And that number varies depending on whose poll you go to. I looked at one that was like 8,000 churches a year and we're closing, and that, that seems a bit extreme. But, but, but the one I was looking at, so that means we're netting approximately 300 churches per year. That's insane. 
because we're not pouring into the next generation. So we have a burden to pour into the next generation, to pour into the kids, to pour into the high schoolers and the middle schoolers, to pour into the college and, and get them ready to take on the mantle of leadership. Do you share this burden with us? Are you yearning to see people to yearning to see people come to know the Lord? In fact, we had, I don't know if some of you may, might, may not know this, if, even if we, you were here, maybe you weren't here, uh, we had a salvation last week, and we didn't even get to celebrate alongside with all of heaven. And so, so I would love, if you share this burden to see people saved, let's celebrate that one salvation we had last week. Come on. All of heaven was rejoicing. We were singing and doing stuff, so we didn't get to shout it out to you, but it was incredible. But we have to have that burden. Salvation in a movie theater, who would have thought that? Do you have a burden to see unchurched and de-churched people walking in right relationship with the Lord and seeing the least, the last, and the lost growing in their faith, coming to know the Lord? Are you, do you have a, a, a burden for impacting the next generation? We need some people that would want to catch the, the desire to see souls saved around, around this altar. Some that would get a burden for homeless, for orphans, for widows, as Scripture calls us to. You see, when we catch the burden, when, when the vision starts to make sense because the vision was birthed out of the, ver out of, out of the burden, when the vision begins to make sense, then we can start to attach some of these other things to it. Then we can start to, to look at uh, some of these values. And we want this to be second nature to us, caring for the sick, clothing the needy, raising up the next generation, loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. We want this to be second nature. We want it to be ingrained in our culture. And so we need to pair the vision with the values. So let's walk through the values together. And I promise there's some teaching in here. All right. Uh, God created us to be kingdom builders. That's our first one. Uh, God created us to be kingdom builders. And, and here's uh, probably one of, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture and where this comes from and why this is rightfully kind of at the top of the list. We didn't necessarily order this uh, in, in, at the beginning on purpose, but, but I kind of like the order of it. Uh, and Jesus came to them saying, all authority in heaven and on, earth, on, and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's what we call the Great Commission. And we're to be kingdom builders. We're given that task. Each and every one of us, not me, not our staff, not just our elders, all of us have been given that task. And so we want to be kingdom builders. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. I could, I could do a whole message on each one of these easy, but, but we only have so much time. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll through them. Uh, God created us to be lion chasers. This is, this is one of my personal favorites, but one that requires like a little bit of explanation. One that when you think, you got to think about it a little bit and you got to figure out where, where we're going with it. What do they mean by lion chasers? I'm not quite sure. Uh, there's a story in second Samuel that I love about Benaniah. Um, who, who goes and he chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day and strikes him down, which is incredible. First of all, he fought a lion. I'm not doing that. You better believe I'm not getting in a pit with a lion where I am now trapped with said lion. I can't even pretend to run away. I mean, I'm there with him face to face, all 500 pounds of him. He did it on a snowy day. I don't know why they included that, just to let you know there were some more elements happening. Just, you know, uphill both ways and the whole thing. He wants us to know this was a, this was a challenge, a daunting task. 
But he did it. He went after him. He struck him down. It was incredible. He was a lion chaser, Benaniah. He chased after the lion. He didn't run from it. He ran towards it. He was bold. He was bold in his actions. So this one actually has a couple of meanings. So the first, the first meaning of this, I think, that we take away is, is boldness, of, of chasing dreams, of chasing vision that God has granted us, right? Uh, I love this one as well. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's in 1 Peter. So let's take another spin on it. We want to we chase our dreams. We want to we be bold and chase things. But, but also, Scripture refers to Satan, refers to the enemy, as a roaring lion. So let's chase him. Let's run him out of our homes. Let's run him out of our workplaces. Let's run him out of our church. Let's run him out of our community. Let's chase that lion because it says in the next verse that we have here, Matthew 16, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've talked about this passage before. This is, this is not that we are surrounded by a gate and hell can't come in. No, this is hell is surrounded by a gate and the church is pushing back, right? And so we're going to chase those lions as a church. We're going to be bold and we're going to go after all that God wants us to go after. I want to share real, real quickly how God has been faithful over our first year. Uh, these were some of our dreams prior to launching the church. Now, I, I just found these like a couple uh, weeks ago as we were getting ready for our one-year anniversary a, a, few, a few weeks ago. And I was, I was looking at these, and I thought it was interesting because uh, not that I had forgotten. I'd forgotten exactly what we wrote, but I hadn't, I hadn't forgotten the vision or, or the goal, but I had kind of forgotten that we had, we had wrote these down. We had written these down. Uh, and, I, and I hope this encourages you, to, encourages you to be bold and to dream big. Okay, so we said the first thing, that we wanted to launch big. We wanted to launch big. And what does that mean? So we wanted to launch, we had, we had this idea of how many people we wanted to see. We wanted to see 100 people. Uh, we had uh, like 129, I think, or something close to that. Uh, we want to start out with kids, youth, and college uh, right away, which most church plants say don't do any of those things. Uh, most, most church planting books that you read are like, no, just focus on this right here in this, in this auditorium, in this theater, in this sanctuary, whatever you call it. Uh, that's what you need to put. You need to put all your eggs in this basket, and then you start adding on the other stuff you know, years and years down the road. We said, no, we want to be for the next generation, so we're going to have kids, youth, college right away. Um, and we did. And, and so uh, we did launch big. We wanted to, and we did. We, we prayed about that. We prayed for that, and it happened. Uh, we had kids, youth, college. We had missional communities right away. That's, again, that's another ministry that, that, that churches usually launch way down the road, but we said we want to have it right away because we believe that ministry happens better in circles than in rows. And so we wanted to be in circles as soon as possible. And we started out with three missional communities, and then we grew to four, and then we grew to eight. And I think this semester, we might be back down to seven, so don't, don't follow that bell curve, but <laughs> doesn't mean less people are coming, just we're, we're trimming the groups a little. So that was the first, that was the first thing I thought, I saw that and I was like, wow, God, you, you did so much 
uh, here right away. Um, we said we wanted to give 10% back into the community, uh, that we, we wanted to give back to the community. We wanted to pour so back into the, into the city, into the community with our Four Greenwood initiative. And so we said 10% right away. Uh, we weren't able to hit that right away, but we are able to hit 3% right now, which might not seem like a lot, but uh, whenever you're working with the margins we're working with, that's a lot. And so we're, we're able to do that, which is incredible. And we, we've got a plan in place to work our way toward the 10%. So that is that is coming and that is on the horizon. So we're we're moving that direction as well. We, we want to be a generous church uh, for our community and for the people that, that we come in contact with. We also said we wanted to have, <laughs> this, was, this was one that, uh, we said we wanted to have six paid staff in one year. Now this one uh, directly reflects uh, the first one. So we said 10, we went to three. Uh, we said six, we're at one. And so but uh, this year, we're able to start bringing on some part-time staff. We're, we're looking at being able to actually bring on some part-time staff, and we're moving closer and closer to that goal, which is incredible. And, and we said we wanted to be a church planting church. That was one of the other uh, visions and goals that we wrote down. We want to be a church planting church. And, and so we're, we're already beginning the process of praying about what that looks like for our church. We're not going to wait until we're at a certain size. We're not going to wait until we're more established and we have a building and all these other things that people keep asking us. We're not going to wait for that. We're going to for God to move and the Holy Spirit to say, you need to send some people here and we're going to start a new congregation. And so when that happens, we're going to move. We're going to be ready. And so we're praying to that end. Here's the next one. God created us to be image bearers. Image bearers. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you uh, have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In Colossians, we are created in the image of God. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And we're to live as such, corporately and individually. Image bearers. Let's keep going. Uh, God creates to be dedicated to worship, prayer, and the word. We talk about this one all the time. It's one of the ones I put in front of you the most. Uh, this comes out of Acts chapter 2. Whenever we first started the church, we were actually reading through the book of Acts uh, together. And so uh, this, is, this is very appropriate considering that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and sights were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds uh, to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. The Lord added to their number day by day, all those who were being saved. So he lists out a lot of things there, but we pull out of that worship, prayer, and the word. That's where God wants us to be dedicated. We also believe breaking bread is obviously important, which is why missional communities are so important here. God creates to serve uh, God and the city. This is, this is the passage where I said this is kind of where this idea of the least of these comes from. The king will say to those on his right, uh, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him that we want to be the righteous in this situation. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome? you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So we want to be a church for the least of these because we're a church of the least of these in a lot of ways. 
God created us to leave a legacy. We talked about that last week, so we're not gonna we're not gonna dive uh, too much into that one. Uh, one passage I would love uh, I'll just share real quick. Joshua said to them, uh, "This is in Joshua chapter four. Uh, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take uh, each one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask uh, in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and when it passed over the Jordan." Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. We are leaving a legacy for our kids to see, for the community to see, for other believers to see. We want to leave a legacy that's a God-honoring legacy so we can point back to that and say, wow, look what God did. Not what we did. This is what God did. So we're going to leave that kind of legacy. God created us to give with purpose. Uh, in Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. I love this. It's the only place in Scripture where God says, Test me. I love that. God says, Test me. Bring the tithes. Bring that there may be food in my house. Bring them into the storehouse and test me. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I could go and preach on this right now, but we are we don't have time for that. So I'm going to pass. All right. Uh, we'll come back to it someday. God created us to love unreasonably. We're going to come back to that also in just a moment. So I'm going to skip that for just a second because I want to finish with that uh, here as we as we close out in a moment. God created us to embrace creativity. We talked about this one last week as well. Uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good, work, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. God created us. God is a creative God. God created us specifically, individually, uniquely. God created the entire world, uh, the entire universe. We talked about, again, last week, all of these things. We don't have to go into it again. Uh, you can go back and listen to it. But uh, God is a creative God, and we're called to embrace creativity. We have the best story in the world to tell, and we want to tell it in a creative way. All right. So let's, let's check out one particular because we only have about, you know, five or ten minutes here. Uh, and, and, and I already hit on this idea of the, the greatest commandment this morning. So let's spend our last few moments uh, there. God created us to love unreasonably. So let me read this. Uh, this is out of John 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He really hammers that point home. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. It's not our rhetoric. It's not our deeds. It's not our arguments. It's not our bumper stickers. It's not our politics. It's not what we wear around our necks or on our ears. It's, it's, it's not what's on our shirts. But we know that our community will know us as Christ's disciples by our love for one another. There is something that is so attractive about true love, and it speaks to the very nature of God. We are called to love others unreasonably. Jesus kind of throws me off at the beginning of this passage because he says this. He says, this is a new command. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. And I'm thrown off because I'm thinking, is this really a new command? I think I've heard this in the gospels before. In fact, I remember it from the Old Testament. This is not a new command. But God says it's a new command, not because of the, the content, but because of the measure. 
So I want to look at this because Jesus defines a new measure as to what love is. We see this progression uh, of understanding of godly love and, and its measures in scriptures. In John 4, 7, we are called to love one another. Very simple. And then Jesus ups the intensity of the measure a little bit in Mark 12, 31. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just uh, love, it's not just loving, but it's also loving our neighbors as ourselves. Loving somebody else should be at the same measure in which you are to love yourself. And then Jesus does it again in this passage. He ups the measure another level and he says, don't just love one another and don't just love somebody like you love yourself, but this time love as much as I have loved you. Love as much as I have loved you you, the measure in which I have loved you, because he knows that we love others imperfectly. He knows that we love ourselves imperfectly, but he says, I am giving you the example. I am loving you. And this is the calling that I'm giving you to love others unreasonably. So I want to talk real quickly about three actions of how Christ loved us unreasonably and how he came to know us and how we should, uh, we should be known within our community. His love was incarnational his love was relational and his love was sacrificial. There was the, the coming to and there was the being with and there was the dying for. But the first one is the, the coming to, the incarnational. The word says uh, in John chapter one that Jesus was made flesh and he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. Jesus came from his home to our home. He came from heaven to earth. He came from God's glory to be a part of our story. That's what our Jesus did for us. As a church, we seek to do this. We want to go to people. Rather than constantly try to get them here into this building, whether or not they ever attend Legacy City Church, it's about whether or not they experience the saving grace of King Jesus. That's what's important. As a church, we love people enough to go to them, not just to beg them to come to us. That's a part of who we are. That's a part of what we did last week with Second Serve Sunday, and we have that every Sunday because of that very reason. So let me ask you a couple questions, some application questions to this point. When's the last time you entered someone else's world to show them love? Not just them entering your world, not just them crossing your path, coming into your sphere of influence, but when's the last time that you entered someone else's world to show them love? What bridge do you need to cross to build a relationship with someone unlike you? Maybe maybe, some, maybe you need to take somebody to lunch this week, unless you're fasting. Get to know them a little bit. Here's a question that I constantly ask myself. What friendships are you pursuing with people that are uh, of a different, a different race, a different age, a different economic status, a different political view? I'm always asking myself, am I pursuing relationships with people that are different than me? Or are we pursuing people that don't have faith? Are we loving them unreasonably? You see, Jesus was incarnational, but he was also relational. So there was the coming and then there was the being with. We see in Matthew 9, 11, the Pharisees, they accuse Jesus to the disciples and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
We see it when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and he says, come with me and I'll make you a new kind of fisherman. And it goes all the way to the cross in Luke 23. After Jesus forgives the man who's dying of his sins, he gives him the ultimate peace. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He was relational. He did more than just give the Sermon on the Mount. He made getting to know the needs of those around him vital. Jesus wept with his friends. He prayed and he fasted for his people. He walked roads with strangers. He got to know others. He gave his life. He hung out with lepers, the people that nobody would touch. He touched the people that nobody knew or would get to know. Those are the people that he got to know. I think most of us, we we fall into this trap of replacing being with each other with reading about each other. On social media and, and, and elsewhere. So how are we being transparent? How are we being open? How are we being hospitable to the relationships that God has put into our lives? How are we loving people unreasonably? He was incarnational. He was relational. And that's the last thing. He was sacrificial. He's sacrificial. He was coming to, he was being with, and he was dying for. Jesus didn't just show up to hang out with people. He poured himself out for people. And this is possibly the most unreasonable thing of all. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, the Greek word for love that's used in this verse is agape. It's not a passive word. It's not an abstract thought. This is an action word. It doesn't feel patient. It is patient. It doesn't feel things or think about things. It does things. Love is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of action. And Jesus gives us this picture, this metaphor, before we even get to this verse, right before this chapter in the beginning of John 13. It's his last moments on earth. And Jesus is with his disciples. And remember, I don't know if you remember the story, but they go and they have dinner. This is called the Last Supper. And so they're eating dinner, and right in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up and he, he, he takes off his outer garment, takes off his robe, takes off his coat. He sets it aside, and then he does something unreasonable. He takes a towel, and he, and he puts it around his waist. And then Jesus kind of gets down low, right? He lowers himself down to the floor, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. It was a common practice for the servants to do this, but not the master, not the rabbi. That's not the person to wash the feet of others, but that's what Jesus did. He broke all the cultural norms. And in this one moment, one of his last moments on earth, he gets down low because he is trying to teach them something. He's trying to teach them something significant. He gets down low and Peter says, Jesus, you are going to wash my feet And Jesus says, you don't understand this right now, but you will understand later. Peter said, no, 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 no. You cannot wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, you have no part with me unless you take part in this. He's teaching him humility to lay his leadership down and not just humility for Jesus, but humility for the disciples. Can you imagine if I, if I just pull, what if I, what if I just pulled out a bucket of water right here? and walked around and started asking if I could wash your feet. That would be super weird and awkward. (laughs) Most of you would probably not come back next week. Maybe if I put some, like, nice salts in there and, you know, I don't know. Could be nice. Get an exfoliating 
scrub going. Jesus understands that this is a two-way reciprocal relationship, that some humility for disciples could do them some good. So he gets down low. He lays down his life. He laid down his leadership before those he is serving, and he teaches them something about humility. And this is how Jesus would be known, as doing unreasonable things in the name of the Father. And this is how he would be known within the community. How are we known within the community? As a church, as individuals, how are we known within this community? I would love to think that we are known for our love for this city, the way that we serve this city. I hope we are. I hope we're known for the way that we care for those who have needs and the way we care for those who are without homes right now. But make no mistake, that's not Legacy City that impacts our community. It's each of you. It's each of you carrying Jesus with you that impacts our community, that impacts our city. Love is not an institutional word. It's a personal word. It's how you love the community. It's how I love our community. It's how we unreasonably love those around us. And that makes the difference and that impacts people. We're about to sing a song called uh, Do It Again. We've sung it many times, but it holds a special place in my heart because when I was going through probably one of the hardest seasons in my adult life, God used this song to remind me that he is still faithful. He's still good. He's delivered and he'll do it again. It helped, it helped to, um, to foster the burden that he laid on my heart for, for this church, for this community. And it, and it led me to step out in faith and trust God with the outcome. I wonder if it might lead someone else here today. I wonder if God is speaking to someone here this morning. I know this wasn't a typical sermon with a, with a typical gospel presentation. We kind of just walked through some different line items, and, and I know we're, we're closing in on lunch here, and we're running out of time. But I get the sense that there are some people in this room that, that are on the verge of making a decision. I don't know what that decision is. It could be for Christ. It could be somebody in this room who just doesn't know Jesus. And, and while we've been talking, we've been talking about unreasonable love and we've been talking about giving of ourselves and we've been talking about uh, being image bearers and chasing lions and, and all of those things are kind of getting you a little getting you a little fired up and you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And the, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in these moments. I would love to talk with you and pray with you during this next song. Maybe the decision God wants you to make is a little different. Maybe it's the next step in your, in your spiritual journey. Maybe as we were talking through those values, you realize I haven't been doing that. I haven't been doing that. I haven't really been serving God in the city. So maybe your next step, maybe your decision is to be a part of a serve team. Maybe it's to jump on second Sunday serve. Maybe it's to be a part of serving with one of our strategic partners. Maybe we were talking about giving and you're like, I don't, I don't give. I've never given to the church. I, don't, I, don't, I thought it was just like the church's way of taking my money and using it for other things instead of what I want to use it for. But, but maybe as we talk about giving with purpose and, and we read a verse, I know we didn't spend a lot of time, but maybe you feel like, wow, I need to, I need to that's my next step. Maybe it's joining a missional community. Maybe it's becoming a partner of Legacy City Church. That's what we call our membership as a partnership because you're bringing your individual personal ministry to partner with the corporate ministry of our church. So whatever that might be, I would love 
to talk with you. I would love to pray with you. We might have some other, if there's a lot of people that want to come and, and pray, I'm going to be in that ramp right there off to the, to the right, my right, your left uh, of the theater. And I would love to just talk with you there, pray with you there. If you don't feel like you want to move and you don't want to step out, I would encourage you, A, we talked about being a lion chaser, being bold, stepping out in faith. So I would encourage you to do that. But if you don't, that's okay. I'd love to talk with you after. You can shoot me an email. You can talk with me a little bit later. Let me pray over you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are. Uh, we pray that in these, in these final moments as we sing and as we worship, as we, as we, as we spend these last moments just focused in and, and, and dedicated to you, God, I pray that, that you would be moving, Holy Spirit, be speaking to hearts.